Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. And it'd be a great morning so far. And you just excuse me, I've managed to break the technology again. You never believe I work in IT when you see me with these things, would you? But never mind. Um, as I was preparing for this week, I was thinking about stuff that we'd been looking at recently, you know, and thought it was great. Um, the amount of things that Owen manages to get out is so few verses. You know, because today, to get a sermon for you, I'm starting First Samuel 13 and going all the way through to Second Samuel <laughs> verse, uh, chapter 1. But I was also thinking, how do I tie in with what's been getting said recently? And um, I said about what was said last, uh, last week, and one of the things that struck me last week is when Owen was talking about woe, he says it's a word that we don't hear a lot nowadays. And I remember thinking at the time, that's not true, I seem to hear woe quite a bit. Where have I heard woe? You know, who talks about woe? I was playing with Caris this week and we started singing one of our favourite songs and she started going, woe, 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 the boat gently down the stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I thought, wouldn't it be great if you actually had a wooing club? Could you imagine that? <laughs> Who'd want to be in a wooing club? Can you imagine going into Dunker and go, woe to you, woe? That would be fantastic. <laughs> I don't know what we'd woe them about, but... <laughs> That could be good. Anyway, there's quite a lot of um, text I want to pull out. And I'm not actually going to read through the text. You can go through and read it afterwards. What I'm going to do is pick up key points from different chapters. Because I want to look at the relationship between Jonathan, David and Saul. And really the sermon today is going to be looking at relationships. So... Jonathan is the guy I'm going to major on. He first turned up in 1 Samuel 13 when he's introduced as the eldest son of Saul, which obviously makes him heir to the throne, um, pretty much like Prince Charles is in, uh, in our country. And then moving on to chapter 14, we see that not only is he heir to the throne, but he's a very godly person as well, because he's camped with the Israelites facing a Philistine army, and he takes out his armour bearer, and uh, goes to attack the Philistine camp. And he stands at the bottom of the hill and says, you know, if God's with us, they'll call us up the hill to fight. If he's not with us, they'll come down and fight us and we'll run. And of course, they call out to him. And him and his armour go up to fight an army. You know, because they know that God is going to give them this day. So he's obviously a godly man who's got a great trust in God. But then, when victory was certain... Saul turns around and issues an edict saying that no one will eat until his vengeance has been passed on to the Philistines. And Jonathan notices that the men are hungry and encourages them to eat. And he's the first. He actually dips his rod into some honey and eats it. At which point when Saul finds out about it, he wants to have him killed. But the army actually pleads for Jonathan's life. And his, uh, his life is saved. Then moving on to chapter 15. Um, God has given... Saul some very specific things to do when destroying the Amalekites. It tells him that he's got to destroy everything, including their cattle and any riches that they have. And Saul's disobedient in this thing, although when he's confronted by Samuel, he says that he was printing the, 
the sheep and cattle back to offer as a sacrifice to God. But in verse 22, Samuel says a very telling thing to him. He says that, in fact I'll read it out because uh, I've only paraphrased it in my notes. But he says this. He says, behold. That's another word we don't have a lot of nowadays, is it? Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. So it wasn't the fact that he was going to sacrifice these things. It's the fact that he disobeyed God that was the problem. Regardless of what he was going to do with them. He hadn't obeyed what God had told him. And Samuel's saying there. It's the obedience that's the important thing. It's not the sacrifice. Chapter 16. We see Samuel anointing David as leader of Israel. Now that's at a time when dynastic rule would have been the norm. You know the pharaohs passed on to their sons. Um, a lot of the other nations round about there. The Assyrians, the Babylonians. It was hereditary. It passed on from father to son. But here we see Samuel anointing David as leader of Israel at a time when Jonathan, who had just seen was a very godly man, was still alive. So we see that Israel's setup is about an anointed king rather than a hereditary king. Then 1 Samuel 18, which is just after David slew Goliath, we read these verses and it says, It happened when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was joined with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as he did his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David cut a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his apparel, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And we see from that that Jonathan and David were one in spirit. That Jonathan loved David even as he loved himself. And more importantly, as we go on, that he actually made a covenant with David. In 1 Samuel 19 we then see that Saul becomes determined to kill David because he starts to get jealous of the fame that David is building up. You know, David is starting to get renowned amongst the army for the amount of people that he's killing and Saul's pride is getting hurt by this. So his solution to the problem is to kill David. But Jonathan, who would have gained by David's death, remember, because we're looking at hereditary handover here, warned David to run away and hide and then he interceded with Saul for um, David's, uh, David's life you know now you've put that there I actually feel thirsty <laughs> isn't that weird <laughs> moving on to verse 20 David informs Jonathan of Saul's renewed attempts to kill him um, and reminds him of the covenant that they agreed and they renew that covenant there and then and Jonathan says that he's going to confront his father about it and when he confronts his father about it Saul does reveal to Jonathan that he plans to kill David. But not only that, he gets angry that Jonathan has let David go. And he tries to kill his own son. So at that, Jonathan warns David to flee. And there's a very interesting verse in verse 15 of 1 Samuel 20 that says this. It's not a well-thumbed Bible yet. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die 
And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. There's a realization with Jonathan that David is God's anointed, and that one day David will hold Jonathan's life in his hands. Because although Jonathan would be heir to the throne, David is the anointed person. And with Jonathan being um, so close to David and seeing what God is doing in him, he's recognizing there that you know he's not going to see the throne. It's going to be David that takes it up. You've got to contrast that with verse 31 where um, Saul turns around to Jonathan and says that David is a danger to his kingdom. Not to Saul's kingdom, to Jonathan's kingdom. So Saul's still in this place where he's not recognizing that David is actually anointed, but he still expects his son to take over. In 1 Samuel 21-30, to we see David fleeing from Saul and turning down two opportunities to actually kill Saul because he recognizes that despite God anointing David as the future king, at this moment in time, Saul is still in that position as God's anointed king. God anointed Saul king in the first place. So to escape from this murderous king, he actually goes over to the Philistines to try and escape. Now 1 Samuel 31, we see the end of Saul and Jonathan. Um, Jonathan actually dies fighting alongside his father together with his brothers, which removes all of Saul's claimants to the throne. Then going into 2 Samuel 1 and verse 26 on, we see that David actually mourns the loss, not only of a true friend, but also of a king. And in 2 Samuel 1.26 says this, it says, Jonathan, I miss you most. I loved you like a brother. You were truly loyal to me, more faithful than a wife to her husband. And that might sound quite a strange thing. But there are examples in history where um, men did feel that way towards it. One of them would be the Spartans. Anyone see the film 300 that was out a couple of years ago and know about Thermopylae? And you'll know that the Spartans were quite a hard people. What they used to do was they used to send their kids out into the wild to see if they could survive. Because only if they could survive in the wild were they fit to become a Spartan citizen. And then when they did become a Spartan citizen they would get married to a wife, but then go and live in a barracks with other men. Why did they do that? Because they realized that you're more likely to die beside someone that you've got a relationship with than you are to die beside strangers or people that you've just flung, been flung together with. And for those who like novels amongst you, there's an example of that even in Captain Corelli's Mandolin, where the sergeant actually throws himself down um, over Captain Corelli when the Germans are slaughtering them to protect him and he takes all the bullets that were due for Captain Corelli. So moving on to the that, that's the scripture out of the way moving on to the, the points I want to pull out then I want to talk today about relationship. It's quite interesting to see that both men shared similar traits they were both courageous they're both jealous for God's victory over the Philistines. They were also both leaders and gatherers and both of them had difficult family circumstances and it's quite interesting that they should be drawn together because people
tend to be drawn together when there are similarities there amongst them. I got a very good example of that yesterday when I went along to the football with Mark and Chris. Went to see Donny Rovers in their last game of the season. And it, it was quite interesting to see just how people can come together and sing praises or something. But it was quite an interesting experience for me actually because I was there as a neutral and normally when I've gone to games in the past it's normally been um, supporting one team or the other. So it's quite interesting going to games as neutral because you get to look around and appreciate what's going on rather than being partisan and screaming at the ref for most of the game. And uh, they, they handed out these little green bits of card with NSPCC on them before the game because they changed the shirt colour to green and white Celtic hoops as well. That was another hard one. That's why I couldn't scream and shout yesterday. I just couldn't prim myself to do it. The idea was you hold up these before the game and support the NSPCC, wasn't it? But, of course, once everyone had held them up and the game started, they started making them into paper aeroplanes and throwing them to see who could hit a steward or get them onto a pitch or whatever. And there's this girl steward not far from us. And you could see her getting really irate at all these paper aeroplanes because she sat there like this. Just looking around, you know, face like thunder. And then she almost got hit by a couple and people were laughing. And you could see her change, her demeanour was changing because it was like, well, there's no sense me getting upset about this because there's nothing I can do about it. There's too many fans there for me to tell them to stop it. I tell them to stop it, they're going to do it worse. And you could just see her turning from, you know, being face like thunder to actually being quite mellow and smiling about it. And I thought, you know, there's a, there's a little Christian poem type thing, isn't it, that says, God grant me the grace. What is it? God grant me the grace to know what I can't change. Uh, I can't remember, but you know the idea that you need grace for the things you can't change, you need determination for the things you can't can change, but you need to know the difference between the two as well. And I thought, yeah, you're wise enough to know that. But something else that I thought was quite interesting is you can tell a lot about an area by the types of advertising that goes on at a football ground. And right on the halfway line at Doncaster, there's an advert saying, have you been arrested? Call Bill Busters. I thought, well, what does that tell you about Doncaster if you're a visiting fan? And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could come here and actually put something for Gateway Church? And that got my mind churning over, thinking, well, what could we do if we were Gateway Church? What would be a real strap line that would get people's attention? And I thought something along the lines of, um, obviously I thought about the cross first and thought there's a plenty of pun in the cross, but I couldn't come over one that was really, really good. But then I thought, how about Sullivan saves goals, Jesus saves your soul. <laughs> I thought, there's one. But my favourite one, um, which I actually wrote down so I wouldn't forget it, I know, I'm sad, aren't I? I was sat here yesterday and I had this little thing out and I was thumping through it. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> My favourite one was, if, your team, if you think your team's not got a prayer, give us a call. <laughs> I'm certain Tim can associate with that after half time yesterday. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the sermon. Jonathan and David weren't just joined by their traits and similarities, but they were also joined by the Spirit. You know, they both knew that they were serving God. 
and it struck me as I was looking at the relationships that they had that we need to start recognising people with similar giftings so that we can get alongside them and support them. You know, because it's the old case of flint sharpens flint, doesn't it? And in the Old Testament, there is examples of that where they set up schools of prophets where they could be encouraged. And I think it's quite good that we're in a movement that would encourage discipling of people. You know, if you feel you've got a gift in, then Owen is a guy to approach and say, I feel I've got this gift in. I feel I'd like to get alongside someone who could help me um, develop it. And certainly that is an area where we could see growth in the church, you know, because if we've got similarities, then there's already common ground there. What we need to do is build the relationship and start building the trust where we can learn from each other. And there was something that struck me as I was looking at the relationship about that, is that when we are looking to develop our gifts, it's very important to remember that gifts aren't given for our glory. Because when you look at Saul, Saul's gifting or anointing from God was to be king. But in the end, his pride overcame him. Jonathan's birthright was to be king. But in the end, that was taken away and given to David. The difference between Saul and Jonathan is Jonathan recognised that and realised that David was now carrying God's anointing. And this is the difference between being a kingdom builder and being an empire builder. If you're wanting to develop your giftings so that people look at you and say, isn't he a great guy? Then you're developing them for the wrong reasons. Because that's empire building. That's about saying, look at me. Why don't you come to me? Because I'm a great guy. And I'd really like you to admire what God is doing through me. But when we realise that we lay down ourselves to build something in this place that is appealing to people, we become true kingdom builders. Something else about the core values in the friendship relationship was that when they were together they were very comfortable with one another. You know, we don't read anywhere in all the verses that there was real disagreement between them. They seemed to be quite good at coming together and regardless what the circumstances were in round about them, actually getting alongside each other and uh, supporting each other. They had real trust and honesty. You know, when David went to Jonathan and says, your father's trying to kill me, Jonathan says, well, he promised me he wasn't going to do that, but I'll check it out. You know, there wasn't a denial there saying, no, my father would never do that. He's promised me he wouldn't kill you. There was this, oh, I'll go and check that out, because if you're telling me, you know, there must be truth in it. There was a sharing of their fears and their failures. You know, if we're going to build something that is big in Doncaster, we need to get to a stage where we're open and honest. People aren't just going to be drawn by the fact that we seem to have answers to life's problems. You know, that we can turn around and say, Jesus is the answer. What's attractive to people is we can turn around and say, yeah, I'm afraid of the credit crunch. You know, my job might not be secure. I fear for my family. Or, you know, I've really messed that up. I had an opportunity to do this and I failed. People like that level of honesty. Why? Because they suddenly realise, well, these guys are just like us. 
It's the difference between preaching down to people and getting alongside people. It's the difference between having all the answers that you can shove down somebody's throat and being able to say, well look, I've been in a similar place. Here's how I got out of it. And mentoring and helping. And I think we need to realise that, you know, there's a very, very big male culture in this society whereby we've got to be hard. You know, we've got to have no chinks in our armour. We've got to be men. And sometimes in the church I feel we've not just got to be men, but we've got to be men of men if we want to be leaders or whatever. You know, and it's garbage. You know, you look at the examples in the Bible, and none of them were frightened to share their fears or to share their failures because they knew who they were before God. And regardless of what we, we're worried about people thinking, when we come before God, we're not going to care what other people think because there's only one person that matters then. Something else that struck me about them is that they could disappoint each other without fear of rejection. And that's a place we need to get to as well. And the only way we can get to that is through building bonds and building relationships with each other. So, as a, as a group, I think we've actually got quite a, he a good head start because we're a small group. We're a quite an intimate church because we're at a size where everyone can know everyone. You know, we know when people are having problems. We know when people are struggling. We, we know when people aren't here, you know, like, Catherine's obviously working today, right, right Tim? <laughs> Skyving off? <laughs> you know, you do miss people when they're not here because of the size. You know, in a large church, it would be easy for someone to be missing today and uh, not to know where they were or not even to miss them. But we're at a size where we can actually get alongside and say, so where is so-and-so today? You know, are they all right? And we can offer that level of support. But it's important as we move forward as a church that we keep that level of support as well. That we keep that intimacy. And we're not going to be able to do it just with a few leaders at the front. And just now, Owen, being responsible for that. That's where small groups come in. But that's also where buddying comes in. Or discipling or whatever you want to call it. And getting into groups of people with similar interests, similar traits. So that you're getting that support network built in. Another thing that I want to talk about in the relationship building is the cost. You know, if you're going to build true friendships, it's like building any sort of relationship. There's always a cost. And if you look at the cost of building a relationship... When David slew Goliath, Jonathan gave him his um, tunic, his military clothes, his sword, his bow and arrows, and his belt. So giving of yourself is part of it. You know, when David went out to fight Goliath, he had nothing to protect himself with. The armor he was given was too heavy for him. He just went out with a sling and five stones, didn't he? Jonathan recognized a need there. And he gave into that need. Something else about cost is honesty and admonishment or rebuking. You know, if we're in a relationship, for those who are married, 
amongst us. I'm certain there's times where we're probably too honest and times where we probably rebuke too hard. I know I do it. I bet there's other people who say they do it as well. And I think we've got to be at a stage in any relationship that we have where we can be honest with each other and rebuke without the fear of hurting each other. There's got to be that level where there's trust is built in that you feel you can say what has to be said but also saying it in love so that you're not actually hurting people and causing a divide in the relationship. Loyalty is another one. And um, again, this isn't something that I think is a problem in this church, but it's something we probably need to be aware of as we continue to grow. And there's people who come into a church and they'll sit in a church for ages and they'll complain about things in the church. And they'll complain and complain and complain. And they'll complain to different people in the church. But they'll never complain to the person it involves. And they'll never complain to the leaders of the church. You know, it's just like a little drip that goes through the church. And people start hearing stories. And thinking, is there any truth in that? And I've got to say, I can't understand why people would do that. You know, if you've got a problem, why don't you, A, take it to the person you've got the problem with, or B, take it to the leadership and get it sorted. Why would you sit and continually complain and get hacked off about things the way they are? I just think, you know, there's, there's something we've got to be aware of, that if we do start hearing drips coming through from people, being bold enough to actually turn around and say, well, why don't you take it? to the person, why don't you take it to Owen or to your cell leader or whoever and let's get it dealt with rather than just let it drip away and drip away another cost in relationship building is sacrifice Jonathan was willing to lay down his life for David he was willing to confront his own father to see if he was truthful about wanting to, uh, if David was truthful about his father wanting to kill David. And that was even to the extent that Saul picked up a spear and threw it at Jonathan trying to kill him. You know, Jonathan was willing to take that risk and lean on from that. The final cost is protection. If we're in a true relationship, we've got to cover one another. You know, it goes back, a lot of these come from the similar training that talking to the Spartans that they were given, you know, they were expected to sacrifice each other, expected to protect each other. When Spartans fought they fought with a shield there but their spear was protecting the person that side. They never actually attacked the person on front. There's a cost to relationships. They've got to be worked at. I've already mentioned about getting alongside people and going for people with similar giftings if we're going to be building something up here. I think it's important that we must recognize our own anointing, but also recognize that of others. If you think there's someone, if you're a small group leader, if you think there's someone who's demonstrating certain, um, certain anointings or giftings, why not encourage them? Talk to Owen about it. See how we can help develop it. But also for yourself. 
start to get alongside people who've got similar values, similar vision, similar anointing. And let's start encouraging each other on. I used to do a lot of, um, of hill walking in Scotland. They called it Monroe bagging because it's, there, there's a list of Monroes. It's, yeah, it's nothing to like August the 12th we go out with a shotgun and look for end of Monroe clan. You know, it's nothing like that. But there's a guy called James Monroe who made a list of mountains that are over 3,000 feet. I used to go out with a whole load of Christian guys walking. And um, we just tick off these hills as we've done them on the list. But we used to really get excited about it and really look forward to it because it wasn't the challenge of getting to the end of the, the list. But it was the fact that when we were there, we were all passionate about certain giftings that we had. And as we were walking along, we'd be sharing things that had happened, you know, that God was doing in our lives. And uh, there's been many a time we've been coming down a hill afterwards singing a, a praise song or something and bumped into other walking groups who just sort of looked at us, you know, as they go by, like, yeah, what sort of nutters are up there? <laughs> but the growth period in those times was fantastic because you're not just looking at what God's doing within your life, but you're also getting feedback from things that people have been doing, what God's been doing for them. And your faith starts rising up. Your faith starts building when you realize that God is moving. And God is, you know, is not just moving in your life or in your small group of friends, but is moving in a bigger circle. Because some of the guys that came along, they weren't in our church. They were in other churches. And to hear their stories getting fed in was fantastic. I think there's a real place for that in churches. If we're going to be building something that we do get together. But we don't just get together and talk about Doncaster Rovers, isn't it great they stayed up in the, the league? That's fine, that's great, that's a five minute conversation. But when we get together, we should be able to turn around and say, isn't it great that God did this? And better still, if after a few months we're at a stage where we can get together and say, I'm really struggling with this. How much better does that become? than just talking about the way referees give Man United the title every season. <laughs> We've got to build relationships with people who can build us up. And if we're going to be building relationships with people who can build us up, we've got to be alongside people who can talk into our lives. But if we're going to accept that people are going to talk into our lives, then we've got to be able to accept criticism. But what I would say about accepting criticism is make sure it's constructive criticism. I mean, if your criticism is, Bob, you're no good. You're lousy. We hate it when you come and talk here. Then that's not going to build me up. <laughs> It really isn't. But if you turn around and say, well, you know, some good elements in your talk today, Bob, but have you considered? There's a difference there, isn't it? Because you started off saying, yeah, there was things there that are positive. But now, have you considered this to improve it? One puts you down, one builds you up. I also think it's important that we start to feel comfortable sharing all things. I've, I've touched on that a couple of times 
But if we're going to be a people that's moving forward, then we really need to have no secrets from each other. And that's a biggie. I mean, how many people would like anyone in the room to know anything really about your, your darkest parts or whatever? You know, but if we're going to move forward as a body, we can't really afford to be carrying secrets. Because if we're carrying secrets, we normally carry secrets because we're struggling in an area. You know, you don't try and hide something you're doing well, do you? It's not in our nature to hide something that we're doing well. But it's definitely in our nature to hide things that are going badly or that we know we shouldn't be doing. And that leads me on to the last point that I want to make today. And it's, um, I'm not sure it's, a, again, it's something that we probably need to look out for more in the future than in this size of group. But we must be loyal to those who lead us. When David mourned Jonathan, he didn't just mourn the fact that Jonathan had died. He mourned Saul as well. To Samuel 1. It says this. In verse 17, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. Saul had tried numerous times to kill David. David hid in caves. David went and sided with the Philistines to avoid this man. But there's still a recognition, a recognition that Saul was God's anointed leader over the Israelites until God removed Saul. It wasn't David's place to remove Saul. It was God's place to remove Saul. Jonathan, the man who would be king in Israel's eyes if Saul died, recognized the anointing of David and recognized that David was God's anointed leader. And he recognized that when David took that place, that he would be placed under his authority and it would be up to David to then offer the protection to Jonathan. What we've got to recognize is that we are people under authority. Heaven isn't a democracy, do you know that? You ain't going to get a vote when you get to heaven, so make use of it now. Enjoy it whilst you can. We have a sovereign God. And we have a sovereign God who appoints leaders over us. We have a sovereign God who appoints giftings into those leaders. And as members of a body, as members of a Christian organization, we've got to accept that. And we've got to accept the sovereign commands that come down from God to us. We've got to listen to our leaders and trust them with the vision. We've got to trust them with our finances. I was, um, I was reading a, an article the other day and it was about a guy who was preaching and he was talking about buying a building for the church. And he, he opened up the debate to the, the congregation and the very first question he got asked is, 
do we have the money to buy the church? And you know what his answer was? I thought it was fantastic. He says, yes we do. The only problem is, it's still in your pockets. How's that for faith? But how's that for a challenge as well? You know, we can afford to do it, but it's up to you. I'm happy to go with it. Are you? There's a test of you guys' authority, isn't it? Bible also talks about us being one body with one head. You know, we shouldn't be shooting off in different directions. That's not how one head reacts. If we are one body with one head, we're moving forward together. And again, the final point that I'm making today is that there should be no, and I'm going to emphasize a point I made earlier, that there should be no Chinese whispers. You know, if someone in authority has upset you, the way you deal with it is you go to them about it. Or if you're not comfortable going to them, go to someone else who can go with you to them. So I don't want to myself, if you're unhappy with me, <laughs> talk to me. I like to think people can talk to me. I don't always give answers. I sometimes get moody. Sulk. Cry. But if you're not happy talking to me, talk to Owen. You know, we've got to cut out this idea that it's okay to carry gripes if we're going to build a church. If we're unhappy about something, get it sorted. And the best way we can sort things out and move forward as a body is through building up relationships, building up friendships, building up trust. Because when people then do come into the body, there's something for them to really get joined into then. There's something for them to see that is appealing. And more importantly, something for them to see that is real. You know, it's not a case that you come in to the church on the Sunday, you get a handshake and a hug, and then you go away and nobody talks to you for a week. It's a case that people are calling you up. People are saying, why don't we do this this week? And we are building relationships where we can start sharing fears, failures, secrets and getting God sorting us out. Right. As part of that, Owens asked me if I would organise something for the guys. And I had the straw poll at our um, cell group on Tuesday. And I gave them two choices. I said, who wants to go to the cinema and watch Star Trek? Or who wants to go for a pub walk? Anyone know which way it went? <laughs> what? Am I the only guy here that wants to go and watch Star Trek? Well, it might involve the spirit somewhere, Natalie. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, after this, I'd like to get together with guys and find out what weekend in May would be good for us to get together and actually have some sort of walk and start building these relationships. Because when you're walking, because you have nothing else to do, you talk to each other. It's great. Not like 
at the cinema where you just talk about the film when you come out. I know, guys, you're more you're more into this than me. But uh, you get the opportunity to talk, and you start finding out. Yeah, I've got something in common with them. You know, and that's the first step. It's recognizing guys that you can get alongside because you start talking about the common things and then building up the relationships. I know the girls already do some things together. It's just that us guys seem to be slow off the ground. So after this, if we get together, we'll organize it and set our way forward. So thank you for that. And We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 